0: One day, a pleasant and well-regarded military veteran begins to suffer from dark and depressive thoughts. Thoughts which he tries to ignore and blank out of his mind. It soon all becomes too much for the young man and he finally reaches boiling point. The consequences of his actions will leave a trail of devastation behind. But is the reason behind these actions simply an all-too-familiar case of undiagnosed PTSD or is a more devious and calculating motive the real reason behind this despicable act? This is Nordic True Crime. In 1984, a boy named Jonas Runemark was born in Blekinge, a county situated in the southern part of Sweden. He grew up together with his mom, dad, and older brother in what could be classed as a somewhat normal upbringing. Both of his parents had full-time jobs, and they were financially stable, which provided a safe and secure early life for their children. Jonas' older brother had autism, which often made Jonas feel like he had to be extra protective of him. So he went out of his way to look after him, making sure that he was safe and that nobody tried to take advantage of him. As the years went by, a popular Jonas accumulated a lot of friends. Friends who described him as a reliable person who would always have your back. He was also book smart. He did very well throughout his school years and upon graduation he finished with top grades in almost all of his subjects. On completion of his final school exams he made a decision to join the Swedish military as a radar technician. And much like his school years he was well liked by both his fellow soldiers and superiors. In fact he was so well thought of that he was awarded with the Accolade of Friend of the Year. In 2004, Jonas moved to another town in Sweden to study civil engineering. At the time, he was only 20 years old, living the busy and exciting student life, juggling studying and downtime with friends. One day, he met a girl who we had decided to call Emma, a girl who he fell head over heels for. The dates became more and more frequent, and it wasn't long before they officially became a couple. Everything seemed to be going great for Jonas. His studies, his social life, and of course, his love life. And he was certainly loving every second of it. But things were soon about to change. One day, when he was making his way home down a street, he suddenly heard someone calling his name. But as Jonas turned towards the direction of the shout, no one was there. At first, he thought that he must have imagined hearing his name or that he perhaps misheard what the unknown person had shouted, but then he heard it again. And he still couldn't see where or who it was coming from. In the end... He decided to shrug it off and continue with the rest of the day, trying not to think too much about the peculiar incident. As time went on, Jonas and Emma's relationship grew stronger, soon progressing to marriage, and the couple moved into their first house. But Jonas was done with his studying. It was time for a change. And in 2007 he decided to go back and work for the military. He was accepted into a department of the special forces called Nordic Battle Group which consisted of 2,500 soldiers from the seven participating countries Sweden, Norway, Finland, Ireland, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. The Nordic Battle Group is one of 18 European Union battle groups. Just as before, Jonas soon became a valued soldier and friend, someone who was well suited for the role, always looking out for his comrades. The following year, in 2008, he had his first overseas mission, where he travelled to Kosovo. His initial deployment was for a year and it was completed without any major incidents. In 2010, he was set for his next international deployment, but this time would be different from the previous assignment, as this time he was being deployed to Afghanistan, a very unstable and dangerous country at the time. Yona served as a signal mechanic, which meant that it was his responsibility to make sure that all the radio and data equipment was functioning to the required standard. But he also carried out another very important role, working as a gunner on patrol assignments. This was an extremely dangerous and exposed job, sitting on the roof of armoured vehicles whilst driving through the heart of enemy territory. The situation in Afghanistan at the time was very tense. Danger lurked around every corner. The slightest of lapses in concentration could result in devastating consequences, especially when on patrols. The danger of the human enemy threat was always present due to the difficulty in distinguishing the difference between civilians and insurgents. But there was also another unseen enemy and it came in the form of an IED or improvised explosive device. In 2010, 368 foreign soldiers were killed in IED attacks in Afghanistan and 3,366 US soldiers were wounded. It is estimated that around 14,661 IEDs were planted in 2010 alone, many of which will still be in place today, lying in wait for some poor soul to cross its path before unwittingly activating the device and unleashing complete and utter carnage. So to say that it was a very dangerous place is more than an understatement, even for the most experienced of soldiers. Witnessing an IED attack is something that most will never forget. Jonas was one of these many soldiers who had seen some truly disturbing events during his deployment. Things he could never really shake off. And when he returned to Sweden in 2011, he was not the same man who had left the country the previous year. Emma had really been looking forward to seeing her husband again and had been counting down the days to his return. So it was a bit of a shock to the system for her when he arrived home because Jonas didn't greet her with the same warmth and affection she was expecting. He was, at the time, severely depressed and it didn't take long before his struggle to adapt to civilian life began to eat away at their marriage. Emma wrote in her diary that she knew that Jonas wasn't happy and that she herself needed to adapt and have patience if the marriage was to survive. She felt inadequate and depressed with the situation, but did her best to make Jonas feel happy. But he descended deeper and deeper into his depressive state, and although he had always been the person who would be first to step forward and help others out, he himself was really bad at asking for help when he needed it, so he never sought any professional help and tried to deal with his problems on his own. Emma and Jonas led a particularly secluded life. They didn't have many friends who they spent a lot of time with, and none of them had any social media profiles like Facebook or Instagram. In truth, they were a very private couple who kept to themselves. Jonas had begun to feel like he wanted out of the marriage, and eventually told Emma that he wanted a divorce. But in the end, they managed to patch things up and decided to give the relationship another go. But shortly after this, in 2012, Jonas went back to Afghanistan for yet another deployment. And just a few weeks after his departure, Emma suffered a miscarriage. She was absolutely heartbroken and had to go through the pain on her own without the support of her husband. In 2013, Jonas returned to Sweden. He decided that it was time to quit the military and make a return to the academic world. His plan was to become a doctor, and he really had the brains for it as he had almost achieved the highest grade possible in the högskoleprovet, or Swedish Scholastic Aptitude Test, a standardized test which can be used or taken at any time as a way of competing for a place in programs at Swedish universities. And with this, things started to change for the couple. Emma became pregnant again, and this time... The pregnancy was progressing well without any problems. Life had suddenly started to look that bit more brighter than before. But one day, when Jonas was out walking his dog, something very alarming happened. At some point during the walk, the dog disobeyed Jonas' instructions and he suddenly felt an engulfing rage building up inside him To the point of explosion. Without warning, he started to violently beat up his dog. He rained kicks and punches down on the poor animal, to the point that the dog eventually had to bite him in order to defend itself. This behaviour was completely out of character for the normally calm and collected Jonas, and it should have been a massive red flag for him to go and seek the help that he desperately needed. But instead, he decided to ignore the incident and tried to brush it off. In 2014, the couple's child was born, a healthy baby girl. Things were looking up, at least on the outside, because on the inside, Jonas had started to suffer from nightmares. Very dark nightmares, which instructed him That his family had to die and that he was the one who had to kill them. And soon enough, these instructions were not solely exclusive to his nightmares. He began to hear voices in his head during his waking hours telling him that he must kill his wife and child and that he had to do it with a sledgehammer. Jonas was terrified for the safety of his family and finally decided to reach out for help. He phoned a support line for veterans, but as soon as someone answered on the other line, a thought flashed through his mind. What if they were to section him? This would be visible in his medical journals, and this would hinder him or even disqualify him from becoming a doctor. So he made a quick decision to hang up the phone and to fight his demons on his own. During the spring, the voices in his head had become relentless and it was apparent that they were not going to leave him alone. So Jonas tried to self-medicate through the use of alcohol. But when that didn't have much of an effect on his mental state, he started ordering medicine online But just like the alcohol, it didn't help. The voices became stronger and stronger and each day he did just about enough to fight them off. This was something which he saw as a victory since his wife and daughter had managed to live to see another day. But it was becoming increasingly harder for him to disregard the dark thoughts so in a desperate attempt to save his family, he came up an alternative plan. In order to rescue them, he would instead kill someone else, and he reasoned with himself that this act would hopefully make the voices go away. So he bought a knife and brought it with him when he went out for a run the next day. But for one reason or another, he never went through with the plan and returned home from his jog without having attacked anyone. Instead, he decided that he would take his own life. That way, he couldn't hurt anybody and his family would be finally safe from his dark thoughts. Jonas then began to go out for longer runs in a wooded area near a quarry. And during these runs, he planned his method of suicide. He decided to stage it to look like an accident and his intention Was to jump from the cliff edge by the quarry, making it look as if he had ran too close to the edge and slipped down the embankment. But when he was standing by the edge, looking down at the hard ground below, something held him back. He tried several times to make the leap, but he was too afraid and decided that he would have to come up with a better plan. He bought a revolver, but when taking some test shots, he started to doubt whether or not it was powerful enough to do the job. So, to be certain, he went out and bought a shotgun. One day, when he was sitting by the terrace at his house, he pulled out the shotgun and pointed it at his head, ready to end his life. But once again, he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He was too scared to go through with it. It wasn't as simple as he thought it would have been. And he was soon back to doing the same as he had done before, ignoring the voices inside his head, hoping that they would one day go away. And for a while, he managed to keep it under control. When his daughter was baptised, Family and friends gathered together to celebrate the occasion and nobody was made aware of what he was going through or could see any clear signs that something was wrong with Jonas' mental state. When Jonas was on parental leave, he even brought his seven-month-year-old daughter to visit his former regiment to introduce her to his old army buddies. Nobody noticed any concerning differences in Jonas' demeanor and simply described him as a very proud father showing off his beautiful daughter. But as they say, looks can be deceiving. Jonas was a pressure cooker of depression and rage, which was ready to explode at any moment. He had by this time accepted the fact that at some point he would have to kill his wife and daughter. It was only a question of when. And where? He went to a hardware store where he bought a sledgehammer, which he hid back at the house. He was preparing for when the time was right. On Monday, the 8th of December, the voices inside Jonas’s head had reached boiling point. They were tipping him over the edge. This was his breaking point. He had now decided that this was the day he would do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it it now. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it now. But then all of a sudden, the voices stopped. Jonas was shocked but at the same time, overwhelmingly relieved. It was over. The voices were now surely gone for good. But it wasn't to be. The next day, they returned stronger than ever, and this time, there was no going back. On the 9th of December, Emma came home from work at about half past five in the evening, Their daughter was asleep in her bedroom upstairs, and Amma sat down on the couch in the living room, exhausted from a long day at work. She noticed almost instantly that Jonas was acting strange. He was stiff and wasn't really saying much. But then he said that he had a surprise for her, which brightened her mood, making her think that that's why he was probably acting so weird. He told her... That she had to close her eyes in order not to ruin the surprise. He then pulled a woolly hat over her head and down over her eyes so that she couldn't see. He then left the room, taking their dog with him, which he locked in the toilet. In the meantime, Emma was sitting at the couch with her eyes closed, curious as to what her surprise may be. She was so intrigued. That she never even realized that Jonas had returned to the living room and had quietly moved the coffee table out of the way and was now standing in front of her, standing in front of her with a sledgehammer in his hand. Jonas raised the hammer. ...and brought it down on Emma's head, knocking her to the floor. He then continued to hit her on the head, over and over again. He walked over to the sink and watched the blood from the hammer... ...before getting some plastic bags to wrap around his wife's body. But when he returned to the living room, he realized that she was still breathing. So he struck her again on the head, several times with the hammer and then rinsed off the blood in the sink before placing the weapon in his tool shed in the garden. He then proceeded to wrap Emma's lifeless body in plastic bags and scrubbed the apartment clean of blood and other evidence. After he was complete with the cleaning of the apartment, he carried Emma out and put her in the trunk of his car. He then went upstairs and picked up his sleeping eight-month-year-old daughter from her crib and strapped her into the child's seat in the car and drove towards the quarry. On arrival, he parked the car and left his daughter strapped in her car seat whilst he dragged his wife's body out of the booth and through the woods for roughly 432 metres to the edge of the same cliff edge that he himself had stood by when contemplating suicide. He then unwrapped the plastic bags and pushed Emma over the edge of the cliff, a drop of about 12 metres or so. He then went back to the car and picked up his daughter. He walked back the same way through the woods where he had just minutes earlier dragged his dead wife and stood at the same cliff edge as before with his baby daughters in his arms. He then threw The tiny, helpless eight month year old girl over the edge. Yona stood there, looking down on his wife and daughter on the ground below. He was just about to leave when he thought that he could see Emma move. Unbelievably, despite having been hit on the head with a sledgehammer multiple times and having been thrown from a cliff, she was still alive. Jonas was determined to finish what he had started and lifted up Emma's head and violently smashed it into the sharp rocks on the ground. An act he carried out several times until he was sure she was dead. He then walked over to his daughter who lay not so far from her mother and carried out the same despicable act on her. Jonas then climbed back up to the top of the cliff and attempted to try and cover the bloody trail Emma's body had left behind when he was dragging her through the woods. He cleaned the booth of the car with washer fluid and left the vehicle behind and walked home in the dark of the night. When back at the house, he scrubbed the living room once again make sure that he hadn't left behind any evidence of the brutal attack. When finished, he put his next cunning plan into motion. He called his wife's mobile phone several times, making it look as though he was desperately trying to get a hold of her. He knew, of course, that she wouldn't answer, but he wanted to give the impression that he was a husband who was concerned for his wife and child's well-being. He then got into the family's second car, taking the dog with him, and drove back to the quarry. When there, he wandered around pretending to look for his family. His plan was of course to seemingly accidentally stumble across their bodies, hoping that it looked as though they had accidentally fell off the cliff edge and had plummeted to their untimely deaths. He climbed down to where he had thrown them and called the emergency services. When speaking to the operator, he realised, to his surprise, that both Emma and his daughter were miraculously still alive. Even the dispatcher on the other end of the line could hear the helpless moaning of the eight-month-year-old in the background. This was, of course, not part of Jonah's plan, And when the operator guided him through the process of carrying out CPR on his wife and daughter until the ambulance arrived, he surprisingly did what he was told. When the paramedics arrived at the scene, they did all they could to keep mother and daughter alive. Police were also called and arrived at roughly the same time as the ambulance. They described Jonas as being very calm and collected, with somewhat of a blank expression on his face. However, what really struck them as odd was that he didn't have any questions for them. In most cases, in the event of an unexplained tragedy, the nearest and dearest are generally full of questions for the police. What could have happened? Who could have done this? What can I do? Jonas didn't ask any questions of this nature and he never asked how his wife and daughter were holding up or even if they were still alive or not. When the police asked Jonas if he wanted to travel to the hospital in the ambulance with his wife and daughter, to their shock, he refused. A very strange and odd answer, particularly from a husband who had just found his family clinging to their lives at the bottom of a ravine. Instead, Jonas was driven to the hospital by the police. On arrival, They were met by a doctor who informed Jonas that Emma had unfortunately not made it and had sadly passed away. According to the police, Jonas didn't seem particularly upset over this horrible news and just looked down at the floor. He then asked about his daughter and was brought to a ward where she was being treated. The doctor told him that she was still alive but would probably only live for another 30 minutes or so, due to the brain damage she had received from her severe injuries. A previously emotionless Jonas then began to cry. The police and medical staff tried to comfort him, and soon left him alone to spend some time with his dying daughter, as her life slowly slipped away. Jonas acted as though he was completely devastated, but the police had already started to become suspicious. And while he was still at the hospital, a warrant to search his house was granted. Inside the family home, the detectives found some startling evidence, which suggested that things were not as quiet as they had first seemed. Traces of blood were found at the property as well as clear evidence that an attempted cleanup was carried out. Jonas was soon arrested, but he stuck to his story, claiming that Emma had taken their baby out in the middle of the night to try and get her to sleep, something he claimed that they did every now and then. But there were too many things that didn't quite add up. For instance, if what he was saying was true... Then why was Emma only wearing pajamas in the middle of the night in December? And why hadn't she brought the stroller for their daughter to sleep in, or even the baby carrier? There was just too many holes in his initial story, and it wasn't long before Jonas came clean with what had really occurred. He told the investigators about the depressive dark thoughts he had been suffering from, and of course, the voices. He was psychologically evaluated and the result of the evaluation stated that he had committed the murders while suffering from a psychotic episode. But the prosecutor decided that a second evaluation was necessary, a second opinion if you will. And the results of this evaluation stated that Jonas, in the eyes of the law, was fully aware of what he was doing and should face prison for his actions. This decision was made due to the fact that he had been planning his crime in advance and had also tried to get rid of incriminating evidence and at the same time had came up with a backstory to try and prove his innocence. The task was now to find a motive for the murders. One possibility was that Jonas could have been suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from his time in the forces, which could be well attributed to what he had experienced in Afghanistan. PTSD can take a long time to surface, sometimes years, so that may have been the reasoning behind the horrific attack on Emma and her daughter. But nobody had really seen any warning signs. Jonas hadn't been acting strange and didn't indicate to anyone that he was feeling bad. Not even his wife. That was, of course, except for his depression. But as the investigation dragged on, one very damaging thing was discovered. A discovery which would completely change the focus of the case. Just a few months before the murders, Jonas had forged his wife's signature for the purpose of upgrading her life insurance policy. An upgrade which made the new policy worth 6.5 million Swedish crowns in the event of her death, roughly 684,000 US dollars. And one employee at the insurance company even called the police, stating... That a man had phoned them asking if the life insurance policy was valid if his wife was to be murdered. But Jonas denied that he was the one who made the phone call. When he was asked about the forged life insurance policy, his initial explanation was that he thought it was better that both he and his daughter had more money to live on when Emma was dead. But on another occasion, he claimed that the money was meant for Emma's family. Jonas continued to claim that the reason behind the murders was a result of his obsessive, dark thoughts and the voices in his head. But it was deemed that this explanation lacked any credibility due to the meticulous planning of the murder and the cleanup of the crime scene. In 2015, Jonas Runemark was sentenced to life in prison. But many unanswered questions still remain, especially for the immediate family members of both Emma and Jonas. Did he really take the life of his wife and baby daughter simply for the sake of a life insurance payout? Or was it the voices that made him do it?